This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeff Kasouf host of the Equalizer podcast this week, joined by Rachel Krieger, John Halloran. Again, uh, a week ago, we shared our mock drafts as Racing Louisville made uh, approached its biggest moves thus far, its most numerous moves thus far in building its roster for the 2021 expansion season. And we are back to look at what they did. We're not going to talk about much about what we did and uh, what we thought for picks. There were a few few that were accurate, I think. Um, but But we're going to talk here about... Uh, the picks that were made, obviously some headline uh, choices and um, a little bit of news. So uh, first, uh, John, Rachel, how you doing? Good. Yeah, good. 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 Well, I'm glad to be back. Hopefully, uh, I do think we did okay on those mock drafts. I mean, we did all right. That's the, the mock drafts. You never know what's what's really happening. So, um I beat Dan, so that's what matters. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I was uh, going to say I don't think any of our any of our accurate counts were were that impressive. We were all at about thirty thirty five percent, I think. <laughs> like four oh. or five, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it'll lead us into what we'll talk about on this first subject in a moment, and um, you know what what was Louisville doing and thinking, and I think that's the the big thing to talk about coming away from the draft and and uh, what we what we should talk about there. So um, first off, folks, if you're listening, uh, the real quick housekeeping, uh, this is the Equalizer podcast. If you don't subscribe to the Equalizer Extra, I encourage you to do so. Equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. We've got exclusive news, features, analysis, uh, scoops. Uh, we've got news up front here. The U.S. Women's National Team is back in action one more time in 2020, uh, playing Friday, November 27th at the Netherlands in a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final. If you subscribe to us, you knew that three weeks ago when we reported it uh, being in the works. So uh, just one of many things that, one of many reasons to subscribe. Uh, and you can get some very deep insight there as well from U.S. Women's National Team General Manager Kate Markraff about what goes into planning games that might be canceled right before they're supposed to happen because of the pandemic. So uh, news out of the gate there, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, that game and some other news uh, at the back end of this podcast, including some Women's Super League and some results, a big weekend in that league, and certainly for viewing it. But let's get to racing Louisville. Um, John, Rachel, I think some surprises here, certainly. Um, in different ways. I mean, the headline is going to be that uh, they they saved it for last in this draft, which didn't the order didn't matter at all. So, the the made for Twitch, made for TV effect of Christian Press and Tobin Heath, the rights to those players being selected. Um, that's the headline. I think they made a few somewhat predictable moves, some that we talked about in this mock draft. But I would say 
beyond just the big moves there, which are risks and gambles that we're going to talk about here, there were some head scratchers. So I'm going to read these, um, these players they selected quickly and we'll link to all the, the analysis. And then I want to get your takes. Um, Addison Merrick, Julia Ashley, Jennifer Cajo, Cece Kaiser, Katie Lund, Alana Kennedy, Lauren Malay, Kaylee Real, Caitlin Ford, Katie McClure, Aaron Simon, Tobin Heath, and Kristen Press. Those are the players that uh, Racing Louisville selected. Um, John, let's start with you this week. What is your overall impression of grade or otherwise what Louisville did with this draft? I, I would have to say that I think overall they probably underperformed. I think that I kind of did a, a winners and losers list here trying to, you know, come up with this. And I think that, you know, they probably got it right with two teams um, and probably had a wash with another three or four, but there were definitely some teams that, that I don't think they got the most value out of, out of what was on the table. Rachel, you agree? I wholeheartedly agree. And if I'm, you know, the Houston Dash and the Washington Spirit, I'm going two thumbs up and giving a fruit basket to Christy Holly because, I mean, you, there's still a lot of really good players on those teams that were left unprotected that, you know, I thought were going to go. And, you know, the picks that I saw, I was like, oh, my, I don't I didn't expect that. Um, and just it was underperformed is probably a good way to say it. It's a nicer way that than I was going to say it. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was the, the head scratching decisions are the definitely the more popular ones. Like I'm still scratching my head over press and Heath big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I came away from this draft, not knowing what the vision is yet in Louisville. And, you know, now you're talking about um, at least the rights to, and, and that we have to really emphasize the rights to because of who they drafted and how many of them are, are not even presently committed to playing in the NWSL. Um, you know, I came away not knowing what they want to do and that's, you know, they've now got 17 players or some version of players rights to them, to their name uh, on the roster. So, you know, are they all going to make it to opening day or be integral? Probably not, but, and, and we're not probably, you know, probably not done seeing some moves. I think obviously, you know, the press and Heath, rights um, seem to be a gamble on, on sort of playing broker and, and doing something with those rights and trading those players. But I just don't quite see what they're trying to do. And I've gotten that sense from talking to others in the space and around the league. And that's where, you know, I get concerned because you did have, we talked about this last week and there was talent on the board in many different ways and not just, you know, who, the three of us as, you know, observers and not licensed coaches and all of that are, are viewing as talent. But even if you match up some of the things that Christy Holly said he wanted, which, you know, initially he talked a lot about goal scorers uh, being a big part of what he wanted to find here. And maybe, maybe he decided this draft wasn't the place, but certainly some, some role-playing goal scorers at the very least, maybe not superstars, were to be had here. And that's, you know, you mentioned Houston Dash, Rachel. I think all three of us had Brivasali as just a, a no-brainer to pick. Um, that doesn't happen. And then, you know, from Washington, um, you know, a lot of young talent on the board, which I think also was the point that you made last week. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a strange one for me. I mean, Aaron Simon from Houston is a player that played for Holly and there's a familiarity. And I think that was 
his comments right before the draft last week where he might take people who aren't exactly names who he's familiar with, who can, he knows can perform, but I just don't, I don't quite see what is, what this vision is. And, and um, you know, that, I don't want to say it was terrible, which I think is where underperforming is probably a good term because we don't know what the end game here is yet with the trade market now open the trade window. Um, but Caitlin Ford, she's at Arsenal. There's no, I mean, I think Holly even admitted Friday, there's no timetable on, you know, she's happy in Arsenal. Uh, Alana Kennedy over at Tottenham, at least, you know, was on loan. Preston Heath are at Manchester United. And, um, you know, I, I've seen some people offended at this, this thinking that they're not going to go to Louisville. It's not so much about Louisville, although I think there's factors there. It's just for many reasons, I don't see them ever playing in Louisville, but I mean, we could be wrong. So, you know, now you've, you've got to flip them right to somewhere. Um, and John, I think you and I had press in our mock drafts talking about the idea of LA. That's obviously a gamble. I do think there's other teams that currently exist or are active that maybe would be interested, but um, there's a lot of gamble here. There's not a lot of direction for me yet. And I, I come away a little bit concerned about that. I think the biggest thing for me last week was I want to see Louisville draft players that are going to help them immediately, like not flipping and playing for 20. Cause to me, when I saw this draft, I was like, are you, are you playing for 2022 or are we playing for 2021? Because there's a lot of people who, you know, like you just said, Jeff, Caitlin Ford, Kristen Press, um, Tobin Heath. I, I am confident that I think Alana Kennedy probably will be back in some capacity next year. But like those three, I, I don't see them playing in 2020. Are you going to flip them um, to, to Angel City in 2022? Like, I just don't understand for the first year in the league, you need to get players that are going to help make an impact immediately. And you know what? Rome wasn't built in a day. This team, if they, if they don't come out and win an NWSL championship in their first year, that's fine, whatever. But at the same time, you want to do that. You want to build a team to get you to that point. And just, I don't know, I, th- I think there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle missing here. Yeah, I think they missed out too on a, on a few, you know, I don't even have that big of a problem with, with them taking press and Tobin per se, because I do think there's potential there in the long term, And I don't really care if they are playing for 2022 or 2023 because they're an expansion team. If they get their teeth kicked in for a year, then it is what it is. But um, I don't know. The press one, I think made a little bit more sense than, than going with Tobin. I think Portland probably got off a little bit easy. And I know that probably sounds crazy if you're a Thorns fan, but, Right. She wasn't going to play there much at all in, in 2021 between her contract with United going until I think May and then probably heading off to the Olympics. Plus Portland gets 75,000. Plus maybe, maybe Heath retires after the Olympics. We don't know. Uh, and Portland got to protect their goalkeepers. They got to protect a lot of their depth. They can probably trade one of those keepers on top of it. So they've got money out of the deal. Uh, they'll probably be able to pick up more assets. Uh, so that one, I think Portland made out in a way on that one. But I think the for me, the part that I struggle with looking at racing's choices are are similar to what Rachel was saying at the beginning. Like Houston and the Spirit uh, and Washington stand out to me as places that they missed because 
And I don't even think Kaiser is a bad pick. I think Kaiser's a better pick than than most people think. Um, but for me, not taking Prysock and taking Simon instead was a mistake. Um, I also think with the Spirit, you know, the Spirit get to keep Maggie Doherty Howard, get to keep McCool, get to keep a couple of those other players. And I don't think what racing got out of Washington and Houston in those cases necessarily reflects the value that was on the board. And to kind of tie it up with the the Ford Kennedy comment that uh, that you guys were talking about too, you know, Orlando gets to keep Carson Pickett, which is a player who, you know, if we are talking about contributing immediately, that's a player um, who people all over the league are very high on. So I think they just left a lot of value on the board and maybe we don't see the vision. And I know Jeff, I know you wrote a piece this week about, you know, the moves that are still potentially coming here. But, um, you know, other than maybe getting – I thought they got the best uh, of what Sky Blue had to offer. Um, and I think they took Chicago to the cleaners a bit in that trade before uh, the draft even had. But, uh, but yeah, I do think they missed out in a, in a few different places. Yeah, and I want to ask you both on – you know, who you thought uh, maybe, maybe was the best of these picks to, to build around. But, but before we kind of, before that, maybe put a bow on this, this bigger subject, which I think a lot of people are looking at. And, and John, you and I had picked press in our mock drafts and thought it was, you know, the right gamble given the value and, and maybe, you know, th- there's a lot of unknowns, I think equally for press and Heath, but you're right that the difference here was, um, you look at what Portland had to offer and, and I'm sitting there saying, well, you're going to leave Gabby Seiler on the board for one. I think, you know, a ton of talent and upside, obviously some injuries that from the past, but um, you know, you had your pick of, of some other goalkeepers, obviously all three goalkeepers there, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Eckerstrom being the one that stood out. I think maybe all three of us were, were in agreement there last week, but um, that was the thing with, with picking Heath in that was, you know, maybe unlike Utah, you know, that's a little bit unfair, but, but the Thorns certainly had, I think, young talent that fit that mold of know the league. You know, I, I don't know if she's top, top of the board, but even a Celeste Beret type of player that, um, you know, there, there were a few good options there in Portland. And I think, you know, that's where, where maybe you miss out. But again, it's, we have to see what the, the end result of this could be months or a year away right so we really don't know I think everybody's assuming the Los Angeles thing there's a lot of assumptions there I might be guilty of overplaying that but that's I think that's the obvious line of thinking I do I do know that there was at least for press I think there's there's interest I think that's always been you know the case to some degree but I do want to add before we move on from this for a little bit of context because I've been very critical of Utah with leaving her unprotected, only valuating, only valuing her at that $75,000 that they get back for her. And I I reported this the night of the draft, but some context to it is the ongoing sort of sticky situation that Utah is in, which is ownership is changing because of off-field happenings, coaches changing because of off-field happenings, um, and, and a lot of just a ton of uncertainty there. And then you add in, um, press who, uh, the Royals released a statement pretty directly. And then, you know, I followed up with them and, and I think we're even more direct. And basically they were given the impression that press was not going to play in Utah again. And that was where they made that decision on top of, um, I'll try to be as succinct with this as possible. The allocation money process, uh, you, each team 
$300,000, it resets every year. You have to buy that money from the league to then use it. So if you don't buy the 300, it goes away. So Deloitte Hansen is selling the team and is essentially, according to the team, uh, said that he's not going to invest discretionary $300,000 for 2021 that resets on January 1st uh, when he's not going to be the owner. So the Royals are staring down the possibility as we're inching toward the new year of not having that 300 allocation money to go spend on the open market. Um, And that leaves them with 170 grand. Basically they've got the hundred from the Becky Sauerbrunn trade. Uh, They get the 75 from this press trade. And then there's another 50 that would kick in if Becky Sauerbrunn remains an allocated player in 2021, which I mean, I don't see any way that she wouldn't be. And then they spent 55,000 on Michelle Vasconcelos. So that would be the extent of what they have at least until they get a new owner. So there's a little bit of that thinking that they need that money that I can understand. Um, I still think maybe, you know, you try a little bit harder on, on trading her, but um, I don't know. They, they probably lost their leverage at that point is probably, um, I don't know. Am I being too hard on Utah, either of you? I don't think so. I mean, they, it, I thought that that was, you know, a, a good decision on their part in terms of, it just feels like, I think kind of part of our surprise in this and them taking both press and Heath is that press always felt like a more transient player for Utah than Heath feels for Portland, right? Like Tobin Heath feels like she is part of Portland, the city, the club, you know, the fan base. Whereas press, I think it feels like she could pretty much, you know, uh, move and it wouldn't be that big of a deal that, that, you know, she didn't have that type of attachment to Utah. So I don't feel like them leaving her unprotected necessarily um, is the craziest move. It does. It did seem, and we talked about this last week, that it was undervalued that she's worth more than $75,000 in a trade. Um, so there is still the potential that they could have traded her. They could have protected her rights and then traded her for a hundred thousand in allocation money. And so maybe they could have done a little bit better uh, bit of business on that end of it. Yeah, I, I agree with, with John there. I totally would have protected the rights and then, you know, traded. Cause I, like I said last week, I think she, you could get more on the trade market for her than, you know, for Kelly O'Hara, who they did end up protecting. So, yeah. And it does feel like we've heard, right. That we, we think that there are a couple of other U S players who are potentially on the move in the next couple of weeks. So we know that these deals aren't done, that some teams did protect U.S. players that they probably aren't going to have on their rosters at the start of 2021. So uh, for some of these teams, they were protecting value, not necessarily the player themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, the the trade market opened 9 a.m. Friday, the day after the draft, Um, nothing, immediate. I still, you know, I'll admit the weekend has been personally busy, um, but, you know, a lot of sort of calls and outreach on Friday. And there's a lot, um, I guess there's just a lot being thrown around and nothing as of yet, or as of then anyway, really firmed up. But, you know, I I know people were sitting by their computers and phones on Friday. um, And I kind of thought that something might come on that earlier end, but you know, it, it, it's just the trade window opening. It's not the only day. And I think, um, 
you know, there's plenty more to come on the, the trade front and obviously on signings, which I think, you know, there's a lot of teams talking about some, some bigger signings too, in hopefully a, a normal or some version of that 2021. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, we'll see, uh, we'll see how the, the press and Heath stuff plays out. Um, and honestly, the, the Ford and Kennedy as well, I think are, um, you know, someone made the point, I think a couple people, including our colleague Dan Laletta in uh, what he wrote after the draft made the point that, you know, when you look at Orlando and the immediate impact players that might be available, maybe that gamble is fine because there's quality there, even if you wait a year or never even see them show up maybe, but um, it's maybe, you know, whereas a Portland, there was immediate quality on the board um, to, to a much greater extent. So um, what let, let's end it um, this segment with who are you maybe most excited to have seen Louisville pick up, you know, assuming that that player stays there, you know, is there on opening day. I think for me, I think the two players, well, I, I think, again, if you want to count this as part of the expansion draft, so, since they did it for protection, the two players they picked up from Chicago, I think, and in, in, in Savannah McCaskill and Yuki Nagasato are probably going to be the ones that make the, the biggest impact. And then I, I know, uh, you know, obviously the, the two players from North Carolina, I think, are, are very talented. And then the last one I would mention would be Cujo. Yeah, I think I'd probably say um, Addison Merrick and CeCe Kaiser for me. Because I think, you know, I think, I think McCaskill's going to be a starter, but I think there's still that open spot for a, for a starting forward position. So I could see CeCe Kaiser go in and kind of compete for that starting spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm curious to see how Lauren Millay plays there because I think the, you know, that courage system um, – I don't know if it makes, well, it does make players better. You know, I don't know if play, certain players thrive in that system and in maybe environment and culture, um, but, but it's certainly a player. And I think we touched on this last week where, you know, her value, if the challenge cup didn't exist or, you know, if, if this year didn't play out the way it does, maybe people around the league don't necessarily see her value or, or some other players on this list. Um, even, you know, when we were all picking Brie Vasali, I don't know a year ago if we would have been that gung ho about that, but um, you know, the, the way this year played out and players getting opportunities, you know, I think that that played out. So, um, and I realize here, I'm, I'm sure somebody out there is going to be yelling. I, I think we are all, John, you should have corrected us as a Midwestern person on here, or our non East coaster of Louisville is, is uh the pronunciation that I have never heard that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we were guilty here of, of doing a little bit of the stretching of, of Louisville. And I know that uh, many of us have been yelled at about that this week. So we'll continue to try to, I guess, I don't know. This is like me trying to learn French at the world cup, just slur everything, I guess is the, the bottom line. So Louisville. Is, is how we'll say. Maybe we're just going to call them racing if we can't get it down. But um, all right. Uh, any final thoughts on the expansion draft that was? Um, I think we kind of hit on on all the the highs and lows. And bottom line for you guys is is still kind of a, a TBD incomplete grade. Maybe. Yeah, I think if they get a, a ton of value out of out of Heath and Press and and maybe do something with the Ford Kennedy, you know, combo. Um, 
You know, just one last thing I wanted to mention that you made me think of when when you mentioned Malay and we're talking about how the how the play this year had kind of changed the value of some players is that two of the players in here um, really haven't played much at all. And we're still trying to base their value off of where they were picked in the uh, previous year's drafts. Like Julia Ashley has now been to Europe, Australia, and the NWSL, but has still never played in the NWSL, even though she's been on the books of two different players and now or two different teams and now three different teams. So we still don't know, you know, what her true value is in the league. And then Kaylee real is another one that I don't think we're really, we really know what she can do in the NWSL. So those are still, I think ones that are, that are question marks. All right. Well, there you have it. Will uh, Rachel, anything? I'm going to be nice and give them a C plus. Okay. We'll see how it plays out, but there's there was so much talent from Portland that I would have much rather snagged than someone mm. who might not even play next year. So. All right. Well, C plus is is passing, I guess. Uh, uh, as I wrote this C's week, C's get I guess. degrees, Jeff. Yeah, C's get not, degrees. It, it is it is tempting to look at it as a pass fail, but um, I was proud of my simile. Like a home inspection, it is not a pass fail, but it's about finding a good foundation. So. Um, I don't know if they did. We'll see. Time will tell us. Uh, That is our chat and talk on uh, racing Louisville's expansion draft. And we'll be back to talk a little bit more, uh, maybe about a couple players uh, since they are currently in the Super League in England and a little bit of U.S. Women's National Team talk. We'll be back soon on the Equalizer podcast. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. I want to make sure that you know we also have another podcast called Kicking Back, which is interview-based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kicking Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer Podcast. We are back with segment two here on the Equalizer podcast. Reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already so you don't miss any of our weekly banter. We're frequently talking about the NWSL, the U.S. Women's National Team, Women's Super League, anything and everything uh, in the women's soccer world. I guess with a a slight slant toward uh, the U.S. as that's where... Most of us are based, and a lot of you are listening, as as the metrics tell us, but certainly increasingly global. So uh, please do also go ahead and rate and review the pod. helps other people discover it. We are very thankful for your five stars and your nice comments. Uh, so go ahead and do that and subscribe to EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe for all of our news. Uh, speaking of news, which I mentioned at the beginning, which you would have known a few weeks ago, U.S. Women's National Team playing the Netherlands Friday, November 27th. Uh, kickoff 12:30 p.m. Eastern, ESPN2 and TUDN in the U.S. in Spanish. Uh, U.S. has not played since early March. The night they were playing actually was that big, uh, now infamous NBA shutdown night where they called off games in the middle, you know, at halftime, and then 
very soon the league was shut down and that was domino number one really in uh, the sports world realizing that COVID was a big problem and the U.S. was wrapping up this probably feels like a long time ago, John and Rachel. Uh, the U.S. was, that was the day that they wore their shirts inside out. Carlos Cordero was still president. They were protesting the uh, the legal filings that were released publicly. And uh, they wore their warm-ups inside out for four stars only. And they hid the badge. And that really does feel like a long time ago. They won the She Believes Cup that night. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I, that's the thing about all of this. Like, it's hard to get – it's kind of like look, – look, I loved the Challenge Cup. I did. It was great. And there was – you know, it was the first soccer that we had had in months, and there was a progression to a knockout round and a championship. But then this – honestly – and I, and I usually get excited about friendlies on the international level because they're higher profile, and right? Even this is – you know, looks like it's going to be a, a good game. But – we don't know what the roster is going to be. I don't think, I, I, again, I haven't seen anything and maybe, you know, but I don't think there's going to be, you know, uh, uh, the right mix of players in terms of who you can and who you can't get based on availability. Um, and, and what are these, what does this mean? Like this, I, I realize that you're trying to build this towards an Olympics, but you, you've got players who played, four or five games in the last, you know, eight months. And then you've got some players that are based in Europe and it's just, it, I just can't imagine it, you know, as much as we kind of complained over the years about how the U S had that very kind of same group roster that they'd call in for every camp. And there was this kind of predictable rhythm and they were all playing in the NWSL. This is almost like 180 degrees, the opposite where this is like mass chaos and, and, I don't even know if you can come to any conclusions. That's what I like about watching these games is thinking about how this is going to affect qualifying or the Olympics or the world cup or, or whatever's next. And right now everything is still so up in the air that uh, I don't know. It just, it, for me, at least it kind of lacks that type of a feeling. I think I'm most worried about the players, the domestic players who like aren't overseas because you know, there's, it's been a while now since um, since the fall series has ended, a little bit over a month now. Um, and so I'm worried about those players and, you know, coming quickly into a camp and, and getting into a game and I'm just, ugh, injuries make me nervous and I hope nothing happens, but it is very nerve wracking. But the, the excitement, I think, is that you don't know who's going to get called up. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about it too long because we're a women's soccer podcast, but that's what made the U.S. men's national team game this past week so exciting because I had no idea who was going to get called up for that roster too. Um, and so it's exciting to not, I guess, not know and just kind of um, d- make your guesses and stuff like that. Like, okay, how many players are they going to pick from Europe? How many are they going to pick from that little um, – kind of the second ID camp, if you will, that Vlaco and the U.S. Women's National Team just had. Um, so I'm excited to see what the roster is going to be, but I'm nervous for the actual game. Um, and I get it's over in Europe, but it's another afternoon game, which is tedious. Yeah, I guess it's a fair concern on the, you know, the injury front. I mean, I think we, you know, as we've seen maybe to uh, to the other extreme of, of that, you know, 
people and even maybe coaches in the NWSL complained about that, you know, U.S. soccer is very on top of, of load management. And um, I think, you know, there was an 11 day training camp in October, end of October, and then they'll get six days before this game together. Um, so I, I would imagine, I mean, the, the pool of players is essentially basically the, you know, the pool that was there uh, minus maybe the one or two absences for, uh, well, the injuries I think are still in the injury category, but like I think Julie Ertz was a personal commitment that I would imagine, you know, she might be able to, she would be in that mix, uh, obviously as a, one of the best players, but um, you know, the, that camp plus the players in Europe, which is, um, you know, which are the, the five in England, basically Sonnet has been in Sweden, although that's been, that's a, that season's wrapping up, not in the middle and starting. Um, so, you know, I get what you're saying too, John, on the, you know, the meaning of the game. I think, you know, we will need to see the roster and by, by this podcast next week, we'll have a roster. I think we might have it the next couple of days even. So, um, you know, I think we'll still have like, is, is Katarina Macario, like, is this the chance to, well, she can't actually play it. Right. So I guess uh, we need the FIFA part of that still. So scratch that. But um, the, you know, I think that there are players still though, that, are there players outside of that normal bubble um, that, um, you know, maybe could, could now show in a game um, or do you use that to say, if you're Vlako Inanovsky, here's my starting 11 that I thought was going to be that at least as of, you know, March, I guess. And, and nothing changed in my mind through these minimal contact points I've had with these players this year. And, let's try to get that 11 back on the same page. I mean, I think that maybe logically makes sense, but I think we still need to probably hear from him, but um, you know, look, it's, it's, these are two of the best teams in the world. I I know we're not in normal times, but a rematch of the world cup final, I I think, you know, we've got some talking points here. Let's hype this up folks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, let me add this. I will say that I think the, the one interesting aspect of the, the last year is that, I would bet that most of us could have sat down and picked the Olympic roster and the Olympic alternates with probably about a 95% accuracy rate or higher. Um, You know, it would have been a variation of the World Cup roster, right? And maybe there would have been one or two changes, right? Like maybe Ben Williams uh, comes in and, you know, or something like that. But now I think based on the delay, based on the fact that some of these players haven't played a lot, based on the fact that there are players who stood out in unique opportunities at home, that the 2021 Olympic roster is probably going to be more unpredictable. And so I think that aspect of it does bring in a little bit of excitement that that maybe perhaps is normally missing or traditionally missing among uh, fans of the U.S. Women's National Team because usually those rosters, even the Olympic roster, right? Like, you know, people made bones about, hey, you know, McCall Zerboni didn't make it. or But it's one or two players. And this time I think we might be seeing an Olympic roster that's three or four different players than maybe who we would have expected. So I think that is uh, one of those key differences from just the way that the past year has uh, played out. Yeah, no, fair, fair point entirely. I think, you know, especially with some of the injuries uh, to some veteran players, which you don't know how that necessarily impacts 
longer term at the very least and maybe give some opportunity at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's good to have some games back for the U S I mean, I think we, you know, we had a little bit of European championship qualifying and, and the Netherlands has, um, I mean, they are playing in that window, but they have a, a gap there that they're able to schedule this game basically. But, you know, it's good to see a little bit of a return here. And, um, you know, as I reported in that piece, talking to Kate Markgraf about all sorts of planning, they are planning for a She Believes Cup in February in the U.S. I, I mean, I'm still not like, I still haven't eaten indoors in nine months and I'm not going to the grocery <laughs> store, but I, I know, you know, I'm going once a week, but like, you know, I know that, um, that there are protocols that they use. We should say they went through that 11 day training camp. It was only a training camp, but you know, in one location, but um, I believe it was over 600 COVID tests among the group and zero confirmed positives. So, um, you know, I think they have some confidence in scheduling that, uh, training camp using as a foundation for going forward to try to play some games, some high level games in, in 2021, in the U S. So, uh, they're certainly going to learn some more from, from this trip as well. I know the U S men just played at Wales this week and there is coordination between the men's and women's teams about, um, you know, what the men learned from traveling abroad for a camp and what the women learned hosting a, a camp, well, camp and a game and what the women learned from a camp, a domestic camp. So uh, we'll see this time next week, we'll, we'll have a roster to talk about maybe some, some interesting little uh, news and notes there. Uh, but want to talk quickly to a little bit about some other news in the world. Um, I will mention here, which is looks interesting. We're recording this as I speak. Um, a, a lot has been going on. If we're talking international here with France, Corinne Dioc, uh head coach and some of the drama there with some of the best players on that French team and uh, L'Equipe just published an article, an interview with Amandine Henri, who has been dropped from the team recently is butting heads with Corinne Dioc. And it looks like some, uh, some very interesting words there. Uh, if you can translate them or go check out L'Equipe, uh, Amandine Henri, obviously still a world-class player, hasn't been in with France. Uh, so some very interesting things there to go check out, uh, which this just dropped as we're, recording this here, but um, just jumping a little bit off to, to wrap things up from that U.S. talk and maybe even from that Louisville talk, uh, I, I saw, I think some people interpreted Tobin Heath's celebration this weekend um, of, of pulling the badge and slamming her chest uh, with the Manchester United badge as um, maybe a, a response to the Louisville, Louisville um, the racing draft. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. I think the European view of, of what these things are, which they are bizarre, they are ridiculous, you know, all of those things, I think is a little bit like, I, I'm kind of become accustomed to absurd drafts and rules and rights and everything else. So maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I realize they're ridiculous, but I don't know if that was a response, but we should talk about that Tobin Heath goal for Manchester United, which was an absolute yeah. dipping sizzler uh, in a game uh, that I want to talk about with, with you two, just at a, a wide level here quickly, because it, it was women's football weekend in England. Um, previously that meant these big time games being played at the big stadiums where we'd love to see them played all the time with big crowds. There's no crowds right now because of what's going on still. Um, but it still meant very important games 
especially at the top of the table in mid-November, granted. But a Manchester Derby on Saturday morning, live on NBCSN in the U.S., and then the London Derby, Chelsea Arsenal, same deal, live Sunday morning on NBCSN. Um, And also on Telemundo uh, for visibility in Spanish. I mean, what for – you guys tell me. I mean, I don't – this is obviously new, but this is – for me, this is a bit of a, a turning point in terms of, of visibility, and, and we've had different moments of this with the NWSL and that. But, um, you know, what do you make of of being able to to turn this on on, on cable? I mean, it was it's a nice change. It's a big it's a, deal, I think. Yeah, go <laughs> Sean, ahead. Rachel. You just took the words out of my <laughs> mouth. I was literally just about to say that it's a big deal. It's really exciting. I mean, you know, there, there's so many different avenues and places to watch you know men's soccer and like you know, I can watch the Russian Premier League on Fubo TV but then I can't even watch like the Eng- like English League and French League for the longest time so now to be able to watch that it's you know baby steps it's coming along and it's not quite there yet but you know maybe one day I'll be able to watch the Russian Women's Premier League on Fubo TV too um but yeah I, I just the leaps and the bounds and, you know, the fact that people are watching it, it's not even just the fact that it's on TV, like people are watching it. The numbers are going up. Ratings are through the roof. Like it's, it's very positive and it'll just continue to push um, the, the growth of it up in, in a nice, at a nice rate, not too fast, not too slow. You know, we, you guys know this because I threw that message in there yesterday morning because I couldn't find the game, right? I go onto the FA player and it was just the audio of the game. And I'm like, what's happening here? And then somebody had to point out that it was on NBC because I hadn't even considered that. So um, it, it's a big change. And listen, this is, and it's funny that, you know, Rachel, you mentioned that too. Like we've seen this progression in the United States. We've seen, you know, from the old days, if you remember watching NWSL on YouTube to, um, I can't even remember who that streaming <laughs> service was with the blue orb a couple of years ago. Oh, how, go 90. How, right. It, say it, John. So, so, so now we're to a point, you know, in the U S where we can watch these games and now we're starting to see overseas because I, I can remember, uh, I think it was two, three years ago, um, trying to watch Carly Lloyd's game when she was in England. And I think I was watching it on like Facebook live. That was the only way that you could watch the game. And and even over the past couple of winters, trying to watch uh, W League games, and you go onto the ESPN Plus app, and the games aren't even listed. You had to go into the A League to find the W League games. Um, or they wouldn't even be listed until, like, literally as they were launching the broadcast. So you couldn't even see the schedule. So the fact that these things keep moving in the right direction is great. Yeah, the FA player, I think, made a difference certainly last year and, and recently. And now, you know, having these games on TV, on, you know, even some of them, a lot of them on NBCSports.com, streaming digitally, um, you know, it, it's a big deal. There's been a lot this year, the NWSL deal and visibility with CBS. And, um, you know, even Champions League, when you're mentioning, like, trying to watch Carly Lloyd a few years back, Crystal Dunn at Chelsea, Heather O'Reilly at Arsenal, you know, I think that was still most of that was pre FA player um, being free and streamed everywhere anyway, at least. And, you know, Champions League too. Champions League, it, it was 
last minute really, but CBS picked up that last eight, you know, mini tournament that wrapped up the 2019 to 20 champions league um, this past August. And that was, that was new. It used to be, I mean, every year for women's champions league, UEFA women's champions league, I would sit there, where do we watch it? Where do we watch it? And UEFA has this default where if there's no rights in that country, it goes on their YouTube and you can watch it, which was like, fine. But A, there should be evaluation here from somebody to recognize this. But B, you know, I shouldn't be wondering that still like two days before the game. So um, from NWSL, FAWSL, uh, Champions League, you know, I think we have seen progress a lot, a lot of, you know, still a ways to go. But, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you, you do want, I'll throw this in there, you know, uh, these rights to NBC were brokered by Atta Football. So um, ATA is attafootball.com um, has the schedule. If you're trying to figure out how do I watch some of these on TV or on for free on their site or FA player, uh, it's got the schedule. They've got rights to England, uh, France, um, some Bundesliga thrown in there with, with highlights and whatnot. So uh, actually, and we've got a Leon PSG, which is like one of the games that, you know, the twice a year that you really need to be paying attention in France uh, is coming up this weekend. And that'll be streamed on, on ESPN plus through that deal. So um, you can check that out. And, and we've actually with Equalizer done a little bit of collaboration with them on uh, uh, a little video series of, of what to watch and how to watch that you can find on our, our Twitter and theirs. So uh, visibility is there. Um, should talk a little bit about the games themselves because those two games, you know, we, there's people like us who are going to watch them, whether we had to go searching into some corner of YouTube for them, or they were right there on our TVs or our computer screen, screen streaming, but Manchester Derby two, two final, uh, kept Man United at the top of the table where they had surged to by beating Arsenal last week. And, and they actually stay there um, by way of uh, Arsenal and Chelsea trading goals late and splitting the points on Sunday. But two very good games, the Tobin Heath goal I mentioned, the, you know, you need to see that if you haven't seen the highlight. Three Americans played in this game. The fourth, Rose Lavelle, uh, stayed on the bench for Manchester City, which I know has created a lot of hand-wringing in the – American soccer Twitter world, um, and and rightly on some of the at least the out of position. I, I don't you know we don't see training every day of what's necessarily going on, but um, that leaves Man United top of the table, Arsenal, Chelsea right behind them, Everton still hanging in there, Man City with that draw still off the pace. So um, you know I think just interesting that we were you know we talk about the visibility, and I think people if you were turning tuning in casually you got very good games to watch. You had American names you were used to, but also, you know, some very talented internationals as well. So um, anything that stands out to you, either of you from, from those games, the, the results or, or even this table, um, or maybe even the, the aside that I mentioned there, which I know hits home for uh, relates to some topics we were just talking about with, with Rose Lavelle uh, has not played a ton at Man City as of yet, as opposed to Sam Mewis, who's been a focal point and who's been, you know, Lavelle been played out of position a bit. So um, anything that stands out to either of you on those? Jaw-dropping goal from Tobin. Um, not to not to age myself a little bit too much, but uh, it reminded me of that scene in The Natural when they when uh, Roy Hobbs hits the cover off the ball. I, the, the pace at which she hit that shot was just incredible. And the fact that it didn't go over the bar, right? Because you see that 99 times out of a hundred, the fact that that thing knuckled the way it did and stayed low was incredible. 
I was excited to see Alex Morgan's name in the starting lineup for Tottenham. thought that was a really big deal. Um, and I'm excited to see if she is going to be their savior since they are a little bit low on the table um, to see what she can do. They had a 2-2 draw yesterday. So um, seeing them against Arsenal in the um, in the cup this week will be interesting, but I'm more looking forward to once the break um, is over and once um, the WSL resumes uh, league play again, seeing what uh, Alex Morgan can do for, for Tottenham. Yeah, I, I mean, a little bit low on the table is very generous to them, I would say, because uh, Tottenham and Bristol City are, are both uh, bottom of the table. They're flirting with uh, early, you know, it's November, but relegation. And that was, they were the two teams that drew each other. I think, you know, a major disappointment for each of them to not pick up uh, a first win of the season for either of them. The only two winless teams so far. So first points for Bristol City, they got that. Um, with a stoppage time equalizer with Tottenham down to 10 players and Spurs only two points ahead of them with three points from, from seven games. So um, both of those teams in need of, of something. So uh, we'll see, Um, we'll see, you know, Morgan first start, she got her first appearance last week and, you know, we were just talking about us rosters. I don't know, maybe you bring her in even as a, an assessment evaluation, you know, I don't know, obviously she hasn't played a ton, but um Nobody's really played that much, which was the point we made earlier. So who knows? Um, we'll, we'll be back next week to talk about um, that U.S. roster, I'm sure. Any trades that might drop this week, which I would imagine there will be some movement or at least some signings, some who knows what in the chaotic world of the NWSL. Uh, I was reading some news earlier as we recorded, also as we recorded, Florida State just won the ACC championship over North Carolina in uh, another good game. Some of the not a ton of college soccer happening right now, but um, some interesting stuff. We had some wild and wacky. We had that, I don't know if you guys saw that Kentucky, Florida game that went ended six, five, uh, which was uh, not a score you see every day much, um, but was certainly wild. And um, maybe if, you know, we'll end it on a fun one that Caitlin Ford shot from the Arsenal Chelsea game, which hit the post, went up, hit the post again, and then got cleared away. It was another wild and, and funky moment from the weekend. But um, happy to chat WSL again, NWSL, some U.S. Women's National Team again. Uh, let us know what you think of racing's expansion draft, how they did. And we'll be back next week on the Equalizer podcast. I am Jeff Kasuf, your host. Thank you, John. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy, who puts these together and makes us sound great every week. And thank you to you for listening. We'll be back next week on the Equalizer podcast.